You will be listening to the recording of our 2012 Witness Missions Conference. So glad that you're here tonight. Glad to be in God's house together with you. Looking forward to what the Lord's going to do tonight. How many of you enjoyed last night? Say amen. amen. And then we had a wonderful time this morning uh, in our class with Brother Sturwalt. And it sure enjoyed that. And Mrs. Sturwalt, we found out who runs the show at that house. Uh, amen. Oh, me. And uh, found out that house is a lot like mine. Uh, <laughs> and so anyway, so glad that you're here tonight. I uh, wanted to make sure you know that right over here at the entrance where it says foundations, you can find some discipleship material. And Brother John Pearson will explain all that to you. Brother John, would you hold your hand up? Some of the missionaries might talk to you. And so there, there, if you'd like to find out more about foundations, uh, we believe that uh, it's important that they get good discipleship. And Brother John run, leads that ministry in our church. Uh, well... Uh, I think we'll start with, uh, we'll just go ahead with Brother Marks. How about you come on, Brother Jonathan? I was trying to figure out what the, we ought to do. I'm glad you're here tonight, and I'm excited about what God's going to do, and I hope that you'll let the Lord deal with your heart about world evangelism. Well, we uh, praise the Lord that we're able to be here tonight. Um, we're <laughs> thankful to worship God in His house, and uh, glad we can be a part of this conference. Been looking forward to it for some time. Uh, we've been on debutation now for four months. Um, we are at 14%. We praise the Lord for that. Uh, we know he's been blessing, leading us every step of the way. And we are uh, looking forward to uh, perhaps telling you a little bit more about it in person. Um, the slideshow was just going to be a presentation about the great need that's in Japan. Um, I would like to just tell you a little bit about the needs, um, since we're not going to be able to get it running, looks like. Uh, there's 6,852 islands in Japan. It's located in the Pacific Ring of Fire, 108 active volcanoes, very extreme in many ways. Uh, the people of Japan are very needy for the gospel. 127 million people, less than 1% born-again Christians. So that, just to put it into perspective, for every 200 people that you would pass on the street, maybe one would be saved. That same statistic here is one in three. So the need is incredible. And they're packed into such a densely populated area. I was telling Brother Peters during uh, uh, dinner there that it's, it, there's a great opportunity for the gospel to spread rapidly throughout that country. If the Lord will stir up just a hub in that one place, in that one city of Tokyo with 36 million people, he could spread the gospel to the entire nation in just a short period of time because they don't travel outside of Japan. Only 10% of the population of Japan travels outside of the U.S. And that number has jumped just in the past two or three years. It used to be 5%. But they do travel. They just travel within their own nation. Uh, so we're praying that the Lord will do something that'll prepare, that he will prepare their hearts for the gospel. Uh, so when we get there, that leaders will be ready, that their hearts will be, that their hearts will be prepared for when we take the gospel to them. Uh, we want to train leaders. We want to start churches. We want to do everything that we've already heard from the, the messages here earlier. And we want to do it with God's power. And we know it's going to have to be in his time. And so we're asking him to just prepare us as best he can. And he's doing that on debutation. He's teaching us by faith to walk with him. He's teaching us how to trust him daily because we don't have everything that that we, that we need at the moment, but we're, we're trusting him and he provides every time exactly how we need it. And we're so thankful for that. And uh, we're just privileged to be, to be called to the place of Japan. Uh, just a little bit about the call. When I was in college, I'd asked the Lord specifically during a conference to take my life and do whatever he had wanted. And it was, it was in that conference where I come to the, I came to the altar and I surrendered my life, but I didn't really understand much about missions. It was just too great a task. It was just too great 
of a responsibility for me to really think that the Lord could use me. And so I went home and I, I told my parents about it and they, they didn't really uh, respond like I thought. I told other people about it. They said, well, that's great. And, you know, it just wasn't what I thought it was. And it was because I hadn't truly surrendered. I come to the altar and I told the Lord he, that he could do anything with me. But after going to another conference and seeing what missionaries were actually doing and seeing pictures of their ministry, I understood that I wasn't fully committed, that I wasn't fully surrendered to go anywhere. It was seeing pictures of poverty-stricken areas, seeing pictures of faraway lands. I realized that I was not willing willing to go anywhere, that I was not willing to do anything that God wanted me to do. And so with the same trembling and fear that I had the day I got saved, I stood up from my seat and I came forward. And with all the sincerity in my heart, I told God, I said, from this day forward, I'm going to seek after your will and I'm going to go wherever you'd have me to go. And I asked him to put me in ministries where I could be used. Well, he put me in a ministry at the University of Tennessee. This was at Crown. I graduated in 2006 and the Lord allowed me to be in that ministry. And I met people there that were of uh, from Japan, and I was asking other people in the ministry that I joined if they were meeting people from Japan, and nobody was. It was unusual. I met probably eight or nine families from J- from Japan, and they kept meeting people from from Africa and India. And I was like, I was wanting some variety, but every door I knock on just about was Japanese. I worked with this one family in particular, Kiyoshi and Yuko Yamaguchi, and I remember the first time I, I, I looked at him, I seen something in his eyes that was that was unusual. He had a sincerity, and he wanted me to talk to him. He wanted me to tell him more. So I asked him, I said, you know, if you die today, you go to heaven. And he said, I, I don't really believe in heaven. It's like, do you care if I take the Bible with you and show you from the Bible what it says about eternity? He said, I don't believe in the Bible. It's like, do you care if I tell you what God says about your eternal soul? It's like, I don't believe in God. Like, I've never met anybody like that in my life. And so I said, uh, well, can I just tell you anyway? <laughs> can I just go through the gospel anyway? Went through it, let the word of God do its work. At the end of it, with all the sincerity that a person could have, he told me that he was 20% sure that what I was telling him was true. Went home that night and I thought about it and I called him up, went over the next weekend, the next weekend, the next weekend, and just tried to pour the Bible into him. And yeah, I was witnessing other people at the time, but this one person I just had a burden for. Over two years period of time, I went through four books of the Bible, and I wanted him to understand the truth. Time for him to get on a plane to go back to Japan. I asked Kyoshi the same question. I said, Kyoshi, I've spent all this time with you, and I was just, I was just really hope, hopeful. I just knew God was going to save him. I had people in the ministry praying. I was praying. I knew God was using me. I felt like this is what he had called me to do, and I just knew Kyoshi was going to get saved that night. Well, I asked him the same question. I said, I may never see you again, Kyoshi, and you may never see another Christian again. It's like, do you care if I go through the gospel one more time with you? This is the most important thing. You've seen how it's changed my life. And I went through it with him, and he bowed his head for the longest time after I asked him. And I thought he was going to accept it. He looked up, and with frustration in his face, and I think the frustration comes from his, his background, uh, you know, from, from his tradition. He looked at me and said, I'm 80% sure that what you're saying is true. I want to believe. But I, and the reason he's giving, these, giving me these numbers is because he was a scientist, and he was very mathematical. And so I, I didn't let him see it. I gave him a hug. I, I said goodbye. And I went home with fr- I headed out with God. I hope you've never done that. It's not a good place to be. Um, and I was, I'm ashamed of it. But I went home and I was frustrated. And I, I pulled over on the side of the road before I made it home. And, and I said, God, I thought you was going to use me. I surrendered my life to do your will. And I poured all my time into this one person. And he, he didn't trust you. I, I, why didn't you use me? And it was in that moment that he said, son, I did. This person had nothing before you knocked on the door. And now he admitted to you that he had 80%. And it wasn't the audible voice of God, but I felt the tug on my heart. I felt God, before I got home, the Lord put, pressed upon my heart. He said, would you give the rest of your life to see that this person had that other 20%? And it's not just about him, but it's about that people in, in, a, in, a, in a general because they don't have the gospel. They need somebody to go and to, to invest in their life and to become their friend and to show them that Christianity is real because they have no knowledge of it whatsoever. 
So I, I appreciate y'all praying for us as we go to Japan. It's going to be difficult, but we're excited. We know God can overcome every obstacle that you know, stands in our way. And we're trusting Him. We're looking to Him. And thank you very much. God bless you. Here knows uh, Jonathan very well. He led our singing. Uh, he has uh, led our music program. And you all know him. And I hope that you're excited about the opportunity to, we have to support him and the ministry God's given him. And you'll pray for them and that they will hurry on their way over to uh, Japan. Well, we have a new man that we don't know yet. Brother Mike Peters, where are you? Brother, Brother Mike Peters, a missionary to, missionary to Spain. Uh, we are introduced to him by Scott Newton, and we're glad he's here. So you uh, meet Brother Peters. Amen. Well, good to be here. My name is Mike Peters. My wife here in the front, Jen. Don't hold it against me that I'm friends with Scott, but uh, we are. We're definitely glad to be with you all tonight. We're missionaries going to Spain. The Lord dealt with us about Spain back in February 2011 at our home church missions conference over in Illinois. We uh, surrendered to go that time, went to Spain the following month in March on our survey trip, came back. I quit my job on May the 20th, and we had our first meeting on May the 22nd on deputation. So God's been doing great things ever since. And uh, y'all are going to see about Spain in a minute, but just a short time I got, God is awesome. And truthfully, I could stand here the whole time and just tell you blessing upon blessing about just the hand of God in our lives. Not because the Peters are anything, just a sinner saved by grace, just like anybody else is, but because he's everything. Psalm 74, let God be magnified. And that's what Spain needs to see. That's what the world needs to see. If they're going to want to know Christ, they've got to see God magnified through us and our faith and what he's promised us in this book. I mean, it's a real book right here, amen? Not just stories and things like that, but a real book that's relevant for 2012 for the world. So thank you very much. Pray you enjoy our video. In the year 1492, the Spanish Inquisition was established in the Kingdom of Spain to rid the country of all the Christians and Jews. Originally created to defend against the Muslim invasion, the Inquisition lasted over 400 years and actually claimed hundreds of lives of those faithful Christians who would rather die than renounce the name of Christ. Death came through many avenues of torture and persecution. The most common forms of this cruelty were the rack, the guillotine, the skull crusher, thumb screws, sawing, hanging, beheading, and burning at the stake. The Spanish Inquisition was the pinnacle of satanic activity in that day. Most recently, the country of Spain has been ruled by a Catholic dictator, Don Francisco Franco, who is a contemporary of Adolf Hitler. Until his death in 1975, Franco had made Catholicism the official state religion. Any defectors were persecuted or denied privileges. Today in Spain, there is no longer any martyrdom, no inquisition, and no ruling dictator. God has afforded the country with religious freedom and liberty. As wonderful as this may sound, it comes with a price. The younger generation of Spaniards has associated so-called Christianity with a dead dictator. They have become agnostic and atheistic in their mindset toward God. This religious freedom has also been a breeding ground for the Eastern religions and even the Islam. Ultimately, humanism reigns supreme in a nation that has nearly forgotten God. With over 45 million people in Spain, there are only about 60 independent Baptist missionaries in the country. That's roughly 750,000 for each missionary. Also, out of the 50 provinces in Spain, only 25 have an independent Baptist church. Imagine 25 states in the U.S. without an independent Baptist church presence. 
But even though Spain is the least evangelized Spanish-speaking country in the world, there is hope for Spain. Hope is found through accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And God has called the Peters family to go and bring the gospel message to the Spaniard people. Please pray for them. The truth found in his eternal, perfect, and inspired word can in fact bring liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. The Peters' goal while in Spain is to work with a veteran missionary for at least one year. They will master the Spanish language and learn to adapt to the culture while being involved in many ministries at the local church. The Lord has placed a burden in their heart to start a church and a Bible institute in the city of Vigo, which has a metro area population of almost 500,000 people. Vigo is located in a region in Galicia, which has a total population of 3.5 million, and not a single independent Baptist church. Please pray that God will let them see many saved, baptized, and added to the church. While we were in Spain, we were able to visit many different missionary families. On one such occasion in Madrid, we had the privilege of assisting Brother Jeff Andrews in distributing John and Romans and gospel tracts door-to-door on a Friday morning. The following Sunday, a young Spanish couple came to church for the first time due to the visiting efforts from Friday. It was exciting to see that God blesses soul winning in Spain, just as he does in the U.S., only if Christians are faithful to go. During the Sunday evening service that followed, we were able to watch as five new converts followed the Lord in believers' baptism and then share their salvation testimony with the church family. One of my prayers while on our survey trip was to speak with Spanish people about their beliefs in God and eternity. On one such occasion, I met a young lady in her 30s named Monica who spoke English, and when I questioned her about her faith, she told me this. I'm agnostic. I think the Pope and Catholicism has taken advantage of most people in Spain. The church is all about money. While I work hard to make a living, the Pope lives like a king, and unless I give my money to the church, the priest won't help me? If that's what God's all about, then I don't want to have anything to do with him. In another instance, I was able to speak with a 23-year-old man named Pedro. He asked why I was coming to Spain, and once I explained to him my desire to start a church, he said this. I don't believe a loving God would have allowed my sister to die when she was 15 years old. And why should the priest be telling me that if I don't obey all the teachings of the church, then I'll go to hell? He's a man just like me. Why should I have to confess my sins to him? The older generation of Spaniards is Catholic, but only due to tradition. The younger generation has become fed up with Catholicism and is searching for real truth. Can God really break through the stony hearts of the people in Spain? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The perfect and infallible word of God is strong enough to bring Spain to Christ, but how will they know unless we bring his word to them? Well, I want you to take this card. If you don't have one, maybe the guys will get you one. And uh, how many of you do not have one of these cards yet? Hold your hand up. All right, one or two people don't, so to get a, get those cards, I'll hold your hand up again, they'll get you one. Let me look at the card with you just a minute. You know, we're, we're, we're a very blessed church. Uh, Brother John sent me a text last night. Our goal was $102,000, and we have given so far as of last night, 108000 Is that correct, Brother John? 
And so 102,000 we gave, 108, and with the special gifts, it's over 140,000 that you have given to world evangelism through Vision Baptist Church. And now we're getting ready to plan another year. And so the purpose of this is that we would be witnesses and we would send the gospel around the world and it would be via our giving. Uh, we, we are training missionaries. We are working at getting missionaries out, but then we'll want to give. And if you'll take the card, you look at it. Uh, you're going to have a part that you keep over here, this big part you keep yourself. And it just is a way to remind yourself there's not a place for your name. You already know that. You pick the amount you feel like the Lord would have you to give. And you plan on giving an amount this coming year uh, to world evangelism. Uh, we are supporting uh, 42 missionaries, if I remember correctly. And uh, uh, we're going to add new missionaries. And God's just been really good and blessed. The expenses of the missions conference have been taken care of. God even blessed, especially with a mission offering last night. God's just doing great things. I want you to pray about what God wants you to do. Ask God what he'd have you to give and what part you'd have in getting the gospel around the world. I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited somebody wants to go to Spain. My problem is I would go to every one of these countries. My problem is I would go to every one of these countries. Every time I hear one of these messages, I think to myself... Man, I wish I could go. I wish I could see God do something great there. And the only way we can do that is through our giving and our praying and our training and our sending other people. So I hope you will pray for the Peters and pray that God will hurry them on the way. Right now we're going to have our, our very own uh, Brother Wayne Cook. Uh, he's going to come and, you know, they're on their way to the country of Columbia. And you listen as God uh, speaks to us through him. Well, amen. It's a joy to be here tonight, and it's always good to be here at my home church. And first of all, I want to say thank you for all you guys do for us. And for those of you who may not know us, my name is Wayne Cook, my wife Lena here, and we are on our way to Columbia, South America. And I'll just imagine tonight as one missionary gets up and one missionary sits down that some of you may look at us missionaries kind of like firefighters going to a big fire with buckets of water and spoons trying to put it out. Because we talk about large numbers, we talk about millions and billions of people, and you may say, but Trent, that's futile. It does, it's not that important to me. It just doesn't resonate. It's not on my priority. List. And I would say this, it wouldn't be a priority to you unless your house was in that city and your home was in that city and your children lived in that city. And it would be very important to you if we got to, to your house and we may not put anybody else's house out and they may perish, but your family members would be very, very important to you. So I try to tell people, Brother Chris, as we go to church to church, that try to prioritize missions in the right way. Put your family member's name on that, on that, on that picture. Put your child's name. If my son was over there in Columbia without a gospel witness and if I couldn't get there, Brother Jonathan, I would want some someone to go in my state and someone to go and preach to him. Why? Because there's nobody else over there. Now, there are very, very few missionaries. If you know anything about the climate over there for many years because of the, the danger people haven't went or because of danger they've had to leave. And so very, there are people there, but very, very few over there preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. So prioritize it the right way. And the missions will mean more to you if you prioritize it the right way. And maybe a story that might help us and, and bring kind of home to us. We were watching a documentary, and I might have told this here before, but we were watching a documentary on Pablo Escobar. You know, when you think about Pablo Escobar, he was the most notorious, wicked, vile, violent uh, drug cartel leader down there. And the story goes on about the end, end days of his life. And the funny thing to me that uh, Pablo Escobar could, could order you to be assassinated. He could order your son or your daughter or your family members to be killed. And most likely probably wouldn't a whole, lose a whole lot of sleep about it. But the story goes on that as his days were numbered and he had already vowed that he would not be taken alive. And he knew that the, the uh, American government along with the Colombian government, they knew of his whereabouts. 
And so he began to try to send his family members out to other countries. And it was even famous, it was even noted that Pablo Escobar was a family man. And I thought, how could a man so wicked and so vile and do all these treacherous things to my family members if I were to live there or your family members if you lived there? But he cared about his own family members. And the story goes on and he was a very, very wealthy man. And as I sat there in my living room that day watching that video, my mind went to a very, very familiar portion of Scripture. Another rich man who cared about his family. And we know that story over there in Luke chapter 16. And there's a story of two people. On one side, you had this, this poor man. He had to beg for things to eat. The Bible even says that he sat out there and the, the dogs came and licked his sores. But then the rich man, the Bible says, he fared sumptuously every day. If this rich man wanted something, he could purchase it. Just like Pablo Escobar when he was alive. Forbes magazine said that he was the, the seventh richest man in the world. They said that he even had coffers or, or cabinets of money that he couldn't spend fast enough that it had mold on that. And I'm sure some young people will say, man, I would love to have that problem. But death came to both men. Paulo Escobar was assassinated and also this rich man in the story, he dies. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes and basically he had two prayer requests. For the John number one, he said, can you send Lazarus so he can dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in his flame. Of course, we know the story and, and Abraham says, no, that can't happen because of the great goal fixed. And he explains all that to the rich man. And then the second prayer request we find there in verse 27. He says, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that I would send him to my father's house. Now, church, I have a question this evening. Why would a rich man that the Bible says fared sumptuously every day ask Abraham to send a beggar to his family's house? You know, a lot of times we think of missions and missionaries as only going to the lower class of people and only going to the poor class of people. You may ask me, Wayne, when you get to Columbia, what class of people are you going to go to? Can I tell you? I'm going to go to the class of people called sinners. Amen. It doesn't matter if they're rich. It doesn't matter if they're middle class. It doesn't matter if they live in the dumps of Columbia. They all are sinners and they all need the Lord Jesus Christ. But why would a rich man say, Abraham, can you send a beggar to my father's house? And this is the reason why. He says, therefore, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, at least they also come into this place of torment. You see, Pablo Escobar, or you see, this rich man realized something, just like I believe Pablo Escobar realized when he opened up his eyes in hell. You say, oh, Wayne, you're judging a man. Maybe I am, but according to his testimony, according to his life, there was no salvation experience in Pablo Escobar's life. And this rich man says, oh, that someone will go. I don't care if it's a beggar. I don't care who it is. I don't care what their name is. As long as I know Jesus Christ and as long as my family members get, get saved and they do not have to experience the same torment that I, I'm experiencing day in and day out. In church, I believe if we could bring Pablo Escobar up on this stage tonight just for a few minutes or just for 30 seconds, Josh, and ask him to talk to us, he would have the same two prayer requests. Basically, can you make hell a little less like hell? And we know that's not going to happen. But I believe Pastor Hitch said, can you send somebody? I don't care if it's a beggar. I don't care if it's a bald-headed gringo. I don't care who it is. Can someone, Brother Jonathan, go to my family members, those people that I wanted to protect, those people that I cared for, those people that I, w I tried to do everything I could to protect them while I was alive. Now I'm gone. Now I'm in eternity. Now my money cannot buy their security. Now my money cannot, I know cannot buy their salvation. Can someone get there? And so priority is this tonight. If it was your family member that was over there, if you were in eternity, if you were a long way away and could not get there, how important would it be tonight for missions? How important would it be tonight for Columbia? And you know, as I said before, we're going to a class of people who we're going to sinners. And the, 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 the peculiar thing here, the interesting thing here, and I kind of have to agree with the rich man. He said, man, you know, if someone come back from the grave, Robert, surely they would repent, surely they would listen. And I kind of follow his reasoning. I mean, if someone walked to the church house tonight that, was, that, we, that we had preached their funeral, guess what? We'd all listen. 
But he says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So that's all we're about is preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe that all of us are Bible believers here tonight. And if we believe the Word of God, the question tonight is this, is where's the rich man tonight? He's still in hell. Where's Paul Escobar tonight? He's still in hell. Along with generation after generation after generation of people who have lived and died without the Lord Jesus Christ. So pray with us as we go to the country of Columbia. That is so true of us, but can you think they don't have that? They can't sing that song. That song's not true to them. They've never heard the gospel preached to them. They've never heard about Jesus. They don't know how to go to heaven when they die. And it ought to be big on our hearts that we want, to, we want them to know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. I'm going to ask the young people to come and sing My Heart and My Desire. Uh, and uh, I think they have the video part ready for you tonight. And that's like a theme song for us. And I, I love this song and uh, I love the fact that we can realize that young people and people from our church have been used of God in all sorts of different places. Right after this song, Brother J- uh, Richard Jacob will come. I'm looking for him. You know, there, many. there he is over there, Brother Jacob. You just come on up right after they sing. Brother Jacob is a missionary uh, to India. India is kind of big on our heart. Uh, Lord's, uh, it's the second largest country in the world. And Brother Trent is uh, honestly all the time thinking about what can be done to get the gospel to the country of India. And uh, now the Lord's let us have Brother Paul Talby and Brother Jim Roberts is our good friend. And uh, now you get another one. And this, this man actually is Indian. He knows India. He was looking at pictures and telling us all about where they were from, telling Brother Trent where they're from. And I asked him, I said, so Brother Trent says, you know where they're from? He says, I'm pretty sure. And so he can look at them and he knows. And so, you know, I know too, I can spot a Yankee a mile away. I just want y'all to know I can spot a Yankee unless he's been converted. Amen. It's all y'all been converted, so I don't spot you except Travis. You still look like a Yankee, Travis. Yes, sir. But anyway, I want you to listen to Brother Jacob when he comes right after this song. Thank you, Pastor Church family, for letting us come. I'm just privileged tonight. Uh, Pastor asked me if I knew a verse in Hindi, and I, I was like thinking about it all afternoon, you know. I said, Lord, I need to learn verse, and I learned verse. Yeshu mera charava hai. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And uh, quickly tonight, in my little time that I have, I want to share what God did with my life and what he's doing. It's hard for me to say it without tears, you know. I just hope I don't uh, really break down when I share my testimony. You know, God's been good. Uh, 1985 to 89 was the year when I was wandering. I didn't know what to do. Uh, it was years when I was in church, but I had no hope. I never knew Jesus. I was in an in a Anglican church for so long, I never heard the gospel one time. But I had a friend, my wife's sister in my class, and then she'd ask me questions, you know, would you come uh, to Bible college? And I said, uh, maybe, give it a try. But uh, four years had gone by, I'd done nothing about it. And one day I met uh, her, and she said, why didn't you come? And I said, okay. And I was working at a place in a campsite, and at the time, a Canadian missionary was there, and I was supervising the, the place. And she asked me at the door, she came to the door to ask me for some help, and I said, ma'am, can I help you? And she said, uh, no, I didn't come here for any help, but I, I want to ask you a question. Richard, if you die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Nobody had asked me that. A couple months went by. And it bothered me, that question. So I went to the college to pick up a form. And I uh, was not doing anything four years of my life. And 
And the Lord tugged on my heart, and I got saved. I surrendered my life to Jesus. Before that, I was in the Anglican church. The pastor there was uh, liked me a lot, but never shared the gospel with me. And he'd take me places, and at times he'd go to he'd preach the message. But before the message, he'd be across the street smoking a cigarette. And I said in my heart, I said, Lord, I never want to be a pastor, ever. And one day, I remember two guys got saved. There was a pastor that was excited about souls, and he was sharing this testimony and two people got saved and he went to the secretary and said sir you know what two people got saved and i'm so excited i just came to share the news he said come on in come on in and the next thing he said was how can we celebrate pick a drink that you like i have all the drinks that you can think about alcohol we'll celebrate this event and i said lord i never want to be a pastor god by the grace of god i got saved god is so good god's so great god's so gracious to save me i don't know why even to this day, I ask God, God, why would you pick on me? I'm the most useless person ever, you know, but God was so good. Tonight, I want to take uh, very little time and share what God's doing. God brought, uh, God trained me and uh, allowed me to go to start a church in India. I pastored it for 13 years, and God began to pluck me out of the church. And I said, God, why? I didn't want to come to America. That was not my dream. But God was doing something in my life I didn't understand. I came to America in 2005. In 2005, there was no church in Glendale. I looked all over, and my wife and I were so discouraged. We cried, because we left our church, and now we had no church in America. And uh, then God brought us to church, and um, a pastor came into our city, and began to, we began to help him start that church. But Pastor Wilkerson came into our lives, because we prayed and said, God, please send our kids to a Christian school when you go to America. We want to live right. We want to have a home church where we can love and serve you. And so God gave us that church. I served as janitor there for a couple of years. And pastor said, Brother Jacob, you can come on staff. You can serve as janitor. I didn't know what it was, so I dressed up the way I am. And I went in there to his office. He said, hey, Brother Jacob, you won't need that coat. You wouldn't need those shoes. Just come on in. I said, sure, pastor. I'll do anything to serve God in this house. And I worked as a janitor. Soon pastor said, Brother Jacob, why don't you teach on staff? Be a full-time teacher. I taught there for two years in the Christian school. I taught, became the assistant pastor, one of the assistant pastors there, and started the Indian ministry. And why I say all these things is not to brag on me, but because God's so good. God's so great. But while I was doing all these things, I thought about India. Never left my mind and the people around India. And so God began to tug in my heart. And so in 2010, I began to share with pastor, and we decided, um, pastor said, I don't think it's a good idea. And then in 2011, he said, Brother Jacob, one day, we, I went back to him and said, Pastor, what do you think about it? He said, let's go to India. Let's go. And so we went, and God did some amazing things. We trained 120 pastors on that trip. But God began to tug on my heart, and so slowly, we've been working hard to build a ministry of training men. And the things that thou hast heard of me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Among many witnesses, the same cometh thou to faithful men. And so uh, the greatest thing is, you know what? I don't have to do this. But I learned in my church, I, can, I get to do this. I get to serve God. What a privilege. You know, and I have one life to live, and I want to live it for Jesus Christ. And so today, you know, the 1040 window has 2.76 billion people with uh, approximately 5,912 people groups that have never been reached for the gospel of Christ. And what, I, what can I do for India? There's, India has had the gospel for 2,000 years, but I don't know why it's not evangelized. And I realized, like Pastor, um, you know, came by our church, Pastor Gardner, and began to share this vision. And I, and God just impressed my heart, kept impressing in my heart. You know, the way to do it is to train men. 
to let them go and do it. I can be a channel through that. And so tonight I just want to leave real quickly with one thought here. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. What's done for Christ, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, but what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, one life. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear thy call, I know, I'll know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know what a great, great God we have. There's a lot of people like brother just shared that are dying and without God. What are you going to do for that? May God burden your heart and burn in your heart the desire to do something for the cause of world evangelism. Thank God for my beautiful wife and my three children that love the Lord and serve Him as well. My wife Leah is with me tonight, and I thank Pastor and the church for letting me come, Pastor. Thank you. How many of you enjoyed that? Say amen. And uh, Brother Jacob is the real thing. He works on the church staff. And Brother John Wilkerson gives very, very high recommendations for this man and family. And the fact is, I'm, I understand from, I think, Trent, that when the pastor leaves town, he only has eight living kids, right? And they all stay at your house. And it's a two-bedroom apartment. And he leaves eight children with their three children in that one apartment. So Pastor Wilkerson must trust them a little bit. Amen. I'm excited to have Wes Gazaway here. He's going to Egypt. He loves the Lord. He's, uh, he's prepared. He's excited. He's dynamic. And I hope that you'll pray that God will help us and help all these men to get to the field that uh, God has for them. We're going to look real quickly at Romans chapter 15. We got to speak about Egypt last night. I also know this ministry is familiar with the country of Egypt. You're already supporting the only missionary that's living in the country today. And we're honored to be at a place with that testimony. If you have any other questions or things that you might like to ask about right now, we'll do our best to help you out. We stay in regular communication with our brothers in Christ over there. And they're very excited that more laborers are coming. And uh, we're honored to be a part of that. We're going to read just a couple of verses real quickly. Romans chapter 15, we're going to start looking at verse 18. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. I hope you take notice of the word power. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Elycrium, I'll fully preach the gospel of Christ. Pastor was talking about, in one of the sessions we had earlier, a phrase that you're probably very familiar with. Be, do, serve, train. And for y'all, that is repetition. For us, it was something new, a new philosophy that why it's biblical, and I've heard it. I don't believe I'd ever heard it quantified in that manner. He talked about the area of be, though, who we are, what's unseen in our lives and I began to think about that experiential, experiential, that's a bunch of inchlies, in my life. And I asked myself this, have we been praying about missions as much as we've been talking about it? Because the question, while praying is doing, can I say that praying will affect you on the B level? That's where you're going to see the change. You see, after 14 months of deputation, God's blessed us to be in more than 180 churches. To be in a lot of places, and while I don't have a lot of on-field experience, I'd say in the matter of deputation, I'm fairly versed by this point. In conferences and meetings of all sorts and manners, and I'm going to tell you something from my experience. 
Over these past 14 months, and they've been blessed, and this is not a condemnation of any church. Can I tell you, I've heard the discussion of traditional missions, of national missions, of Pauline missions, of translation difficulties, of language and cultural fluency, of insider movements and new cliques, dynamic equivalencies, equipping models, apologetics. I've heard all these different things discussed in many other theological areas in our life. Yet can I tell you that I've yet to go to a missions conference where the pastor said, we've got five countries represented here and we want the missionaries to meet before and we're going to take an hour and spend a specific prayer on your mission field. I've been soul winning for hours. I have been bus captain doing For hours, I have puttied floors, painted doors, painted walls, helped in yards and lunch. And praise God, I need to learn all those things. Because by the way, you get to do all that on the mission field. Can I tell you that I've spent very little time with churches in prayer about Egypt? Why is that? Can I tell you something that we must realize and that you already know? Money has never preached the gospel. We've spent $1 trillion in Africa since 1950. And you could probably ask Mr. Stewart, how, how many people have come and spent money? I read of one story of an orphanage being repainted 20 times in 20 years. So churches would feel like they were doing something. All over the world today, it is a racket for people to bring children into this world and to break their arms and their legs and scar their faces and set the children out to beg when missionaries come through. Money's never preached the gospel. Wes, what are you getting at? I'm asking you the question tonight, do you have a prayer life or do you have a life of prayer? There's a dramatic difference between the two. One is blocking out five minutes three times a day and trying to feel like you're doing something. The other one is having a personal, real, I mean, it's, it's something special, connection to God where you're constantly seeking His power. Can I tell you that Paul was effective in preaching the gospel not because he spoke seven languages, he was college educated, that he had more zeal, more fervor. It's because he had power in his life. I fully realize God's not going to send 10,000 missionaries to Egypt. Now, I think any one of you would, that would try to believe that, you're being foolish. As a matter of fact, there are no other missionaries right now with a call in their life to go to Egypt. If they were, it'll be four years, maybe, starting tomorrow before they're going to get to the field. So how is three families going to change 84 million lives? It's going to have to be more than us, isn't it? It's going to have to be the power of God through us. Why is it today that missionaries are flocking home at a level unprecedented in the history of the Independent Baptist Church? We have veteran missionaries here that can tell you many logistical reasons why. But can I also tell you why I believe they are? I believe we have developed a group of anemic, weak believers today that don't know what it is to tap into the true source of all power, and that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Can I tell you that in all my Bible college, that in all my experience, no one ever emphasized. We talk about prayer. We love to talk about prayer. 
but being prayer. Spending time in prayer. Since I've been on deputation, I know of three families my age that have come off the mission field. I know of one that had 100% support in deputation. Visas issued and didn't go. It's not money. What is it? The question tonight is are you talking about missions as much as you're praying about them? Pastor. Well, praise the Lord. I'm about ready to take an offer. Amen. Gentlemen, if you're ready, we're going to talk about money just a second. <laughs> that one worked out good. I did that before when I was a missionary. And he's right, 100% right. Money doesn't get it done. We need to pray. We need to get a hold of God. We need to ask God to work. I hope we are, and I hope that we will do more so. Let me read uh, two verses to you real quickly, if I could. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. Look at what the Bible says. And we're talking about faith promise offering. Uh, and I just want you to look at this. It says, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us. By the will of God. Underline in your Bible, if you have it open right there, that they gave their self. You know, this is a chapter about giving. They were going to give to a need that was up in Jerusalem. It wasn't about getting missionaries around the world. It was about helping other Christians that were in trouble. But real giving doesn't start with a wallet. It starts with a heart. Real giving doesn't start with a a budget. Real giving starts with, I want God to use me. I love God and everything I have belongs to him. They first gave their own selves. The second thing that you'll notice in that verse, and I guess I'm going to stop with that. We'll get another verse tomorrow night. But look, if you would, at the last part, it says they gave themselves to the Lord and unto us. And unto us. You know what happened? Paul said the people love God and the people love the men of God. The people love God and the people love the men of God. And we have the honor and the privilege of having men here that are going to carry the gospel around the world. I hope you love them, fall in love with them, care about them. It is amazing how you feel about giving when it is your child that's the missionary. It is amazing how you care about how they're going to get their, their money. And so what, what if we were to fall in love with these missionaries? How would God use us to give and to pray if it were our children? Father, I pray that you bless this offering. I pray that your name would be honored and glorified and magnified tonight. And I pray, God, that you would continue to work in every part of the world. I pray, God, for Egypt. I pray, God, that you would use Brother Wes as he goes there. Lord, I thank you and pray for Japan. I pray, God, that you'd use Jonathan. I thank you for his fervor tonight. I thank you for his heart. I pray, Lord, that you'd work in Spain. I thank you for Brother Mike and his heart. And I pray, God, that you'd hurry him onto the field and use him there. I thank you for Wayne and his heart and his desire to get to Columbia. And I pray, God, you'd bless him and work in his life. I pray, God, for India. And I pray for Brother Richard. I pray, God, that you'd do a work there. I pray that your name would be honored and glorified and magnified all over the world. We love you and thank you and praise you for the privilege we have of serving you. Now, God, work through this offering and bring honor and glory to your name. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our brother Sir Walt, right after this uh, special, if you'll come and preach, uh, you're going to love Brother Sir Walt. You know, they're leaving to go back to the field in about two weeks. So spend your time, get to know them a little bit. Music's just been something special. Night. It really, really has been. There are 14 Muslim countries that are on fire tonight. Let's just take a few moments and let's pray for missionaries that are there. I know that in, in each one of those countries there are missionaries. And so we truly want to remember them. God will protect them, keep them safe. 
There's also a family uh, from Savannah, Georgia, that, uh, that is in Sudan. And they went there on a missionary uh, survey trip. And the family has not heard from them in two days. And so let's remember this family then. And uh, we pray that they're safe. Uh, my daughter called. My daughter's best friend when they were in college uh, is from Savannah. And uh, so her friend called her today, and it is her, um, her father's brother's son. So it would be her first cousin. And they were on a survey trip to Sudan and to Khartoum. And so let's remember them in prayer that God will protect them tonight. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we see the news reports... And truly our heart is, goes out to the family of those that were lost, the ambassador and and those that were lost this week. We pray for their families. We pray, Father, that through this, the gospel of Christ can reach these families. And then, Father, it's in our heart tonight. I know that in many of these countries... There are missionaries. They are there undercover because the nations of Islam would not allow them to be there. But because of your grace and because they want to bring glory and honor unto your name, they have put their life to be in danger. Father, as the wickedness and the evil of this world and then within these cities as they burn even tonight, even today, would have been nighttime their time. Father, we pray for protection upon them. We just ask you, dear Lord, that you would protect each one of them. We don't know them by name, but we know they're there. And so, Father, we pray that you would put your hand of protection upon them. And then, Father, for this couple that had traveled to Khartoum and they were to fly out today. Father, may news come unto their family that they are safe. And Father, we just pray again that you keep them safe. You put your hand upon them. But Father, whatever your will is, we know that it will bring honor and glory to you. Whatever happens is going to bring honor and glory to you. And that is what we want the most out of what is taking place today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look with me in Romans chapter 15? We're going to do a little bit tonight. I thought, well, someone is going to do my introduction again tonight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when he said, go to Romans chapter 15. Uh, and uh, so I thought, well, we're going to have another short one tonight. <laughs> because 12 minutes of my introduction has already been preached. And so I got to go to the one verse I wanted to look at anyway. And, uh, and then you all got to go home early. And so it was real good last night. And I thought, when he said, go to Romans chapter 15, I thought... You got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. 
uh, but he jumped right over me. So, so I'm not going to get a chance tonight to uh, cut it a little short, but I, I'm not going to take very long. Chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to go to 15, but go ahead and look at verse 1 in chapter 14. Because chapter 14 and 15 are coming together. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. For he that believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. I want us to note that tonight that we are to receive one another with understanding. Now, I appreciate the understanding that you've given unto me today. I don't have all the answers, and I don't know everything. This is the way God has directed us. This is the way we've done our work. Now, um, let us receive one another with understanding. And that's what Paul, what Paul is speaking of. And if you go through the next down to verse number 12, it deals that we receive each one with understanding. We're not alike. We're not alike. Now, and we're never going to be alike. And when you reach the mission field, and when you're here within the church, everyone is different. We're not going to be alike. But may we receive one another with understanding. That is what Paul begs of us. And then look in verse number 13 of chapter 14. Verse 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Let us build one another up without offending. Let us build each other up without offending someone. Now, can we, can we not look at a brother and, not, and, and, and don't judge him? I mean, he's different than me, and his thoughts are different, and, and maybe his programs are different, and maybe his music is different, and, and, and maybe there's difference in us, but, but can we not build each other up without offending each other. And that's what Paul is asking. He is asking those within the church of Rome that, that, that this church he's never been to, but he has the greatest desire in his heart to go to them. And he reminds them, let us build each other up without offending. Can we encourage each other if we're not alike? Can we encourage each other if we don't think alike? Let us build each other up without offending. And then in chapter 15, verse number 1, he says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Can we please one another with Christ as our example? Not to please ourselves, but can we please one another 
using Christ as our example. Not any time did the Lord Jesus. Now, did he, did he look unto himself to please himself? But can we take the initiative to do what we can to please another? To, to, to encourage them to, 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 as he says, we that are strong bear the infirmities of the weak. I mean, can we bear the infirmities of the weak without making an announcement now about how good we are now and, and, and how they are, how weak they are? Can we not just bear them? Beloved, if we're going to reach the world for Christ... We have to work together. We have to work together. Can we please one another with Christ our example? And then read with me verse number 7 through verse 13. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Christ Jesus was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. That's Psalms 18.49. And then he says, and again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32, 43. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him with all ye people. That's Psalms 117, 1. And again, Isaiah saith, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to the reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of of the Holy Spirit. And that's Isaiah 11.10. Paul wanted to go through what the Old Testament says. Paul wanted to, to show what it is. Can we rejoice with one another in the plan of God? Can we rejoice in God's plan? Beloved, let's go back again. Do you know that 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 the zeal for the glory of God is the primary reason for missions. It, it, is, it is not that we go and save the world because we don't save anybody. Not one person. I've never saved anyone. Never have. Never will. I mean, sometimes we take, the, we, take, we take credit. Oh, I led this person to Christ. God did it all. We didn't do anything. He did it all. 
Our purpose is to glorify God. You that are going to Egypt and you that are going to Japan and you that are going to Spain. I'll I'll let you in on a little secret. 35 years from now, you're not going to have 300 churches and 50,000 people in those churches. Not going to have it. You won't. Well, let's be realistic. I know God can do anything. Absolutely. God can do anything. But we're also going to be realistic. Now, but what is what is your purpose? Your purpose is to bring glory to God. And every person that receives the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's four or five Muslims in that time, whether it's ten or twenty, or whether it be a hundred or a thousand, each one that is brought to Christ will bring glory unto God. And that is our purpose, and that is our only purpose, is to bring glory to God. He says again, Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us. He received us. He saved us. The Holy Spirit of God called us and drew us. And Christ received us. That's our salvation. And it was done for what reason? To the glory of God. Verse 7. To the glory of God. Jesus did it for the glory of God. That's why He did it. To bring glory to the Father. He did it for no other reason. He didn't do it because sinners needed it. Now, you don't misunderstand me. All those things are important. But all those things are under His purpose. Absolutely. Sinners needed it. There wasn't any other way. There wasn't any other way. But His purpose was to bring glory to God. My beloved, if you bring glory to God, you have accomplished everything that God asked of you. There have been many missionaries who have gone before you. Many missionaries who have gone to Egypt before you. Many missionaries who have gone to 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 Japan before you. Many missionaries have gone to Spain before you. They're good people. They're good missionaries. But the numbers aren't there. They're not there. I don't know why. But I know this, that our purpose in going is not for numbers. Our purpose in going is not to be able to come back and show hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on the, on the slide so we can sit back with our arms folded and, and feel good about ourselves and, and watch that video over and over and over again and, and, and we feel good about ourselves. And then we pity the next man that comes along who, who has been in Egypt and he's poured out his life and he's poured out his heart 
and everything that everything that he has and he shows two little Muslim ladies that have received Christ and we kind of sit back and we think, oh, boy, poor him. I'm glad I'm not him. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. And you bring glory to God with your sacrifice. You bring glory to God with your sacrifice. If God wills. And you pour your life out. And there are just a few that come. But you have poured your life into it. You have brought glory to God. You brought glory to God. And that is His purpose. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. That was the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. This section, we are to rejoice with one another because of God's plan. God's plan is to bring glory to God. Jesus continued to say it again and again and again and again all through His ministry. This is my work to bring glory unto the Father. This is my work. This is what I'm doing. It's to bring glory unto the Father. Beloved, this is our work. This is our work, whether it's here in the Atlanta suburbs or whether it is whether it is in Kenya or whether it is in South America, in Africa or South America, whether it is in Asia. Our work is to bring glory to God. Bring, bring glory to Him. Verse number 8 says, And now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, the Jews, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Again, he says, Jesus Christ was a minister to the circumcision, to the Jews. And what was that purpose? That purpose was to show that God is true, that he's truth. What he promised, he will do. You see, beloved, if we bring glory unto God, then His truth, the promises that He made, He'll not break. The promises that He made. It says that the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. God has made promises unto us. And the promises that He has made is not here on this earth. The rewards don't come here. They don't come here. Somebody might walk around and slap you on the back and say, Oh man, you're the best missionary there is. And you and I absolutely know that that means absolutely nothing. It means nothing. Nothing at all. Because the promise that is made by the Father... That promise that he'll not break. Just like he didn't break the promise to the circumcision. He will not break his promises to you and to I. He'll not break them. And those promises are that there's a reward for our faithfulness. 
There's a reward for those who bring glory to God. That's the promise. And that's what we live for. We don't live for anything that we get here upon this earth. Those things are not, those things are not important to us. Pastor was talking today. How many missionaries leave over little petty things? Things that don't make any difference in the world. They, don't, they make no difference. They're not important to anyone, anything. Certainly not important to God. But yet that's why they leave. God shows his truthfulness. He confirmed his promises to the circumcision. And he confirms his promises to you and I. We bring glory to God. We bring glory to him. I absolutely guarantee you that there is a crown in heaven that waits for you. Oh, but you say, oh, but, but you know, missionary, uh, you know, in Africa, in Kenya, and in in, in in sub-Sahara Africa, uh, so many churches are being built and so many people are coming to Christ and, and the numbers are staggering. And we just have, we just have a few Muslims. But you brought glory to God. You brought glory to God. You spent your life to bring glory unto Him. When you do, there's a reward that is promised. He'll not go back on his word. He doesn't look at, you know, we, we, we get all hung up on the numbers. All hung up on the numbers. And I know, I, 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 being an old missionary, and I'm an old missionary, and, and you get with the young guys, and, that, and you know the pressure sometimes they're under. Sometimes pastors look at you now and, and those numbers don't match up to somebody else in their minds. And you're under great pressure now. And, 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 and so you're looking for any way that you can do it. Any way to boost numbers. Any way to show something. Any way to, to be able to present something. And all we need to do is bring glory to God. Look at verse number 8 again. He says, then he confirmed the promises. I'm sorry, verse number 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now that's got to be, that, 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 that's got to... That's got to bring chills up and down our spine, doesn't it? That the Gentiles, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. There are many people in Kenya that make a profession of faith. And it's all in God's hands anyway. Now, on how many are, are, are true confessions, or that's all in God's hands. But you've got to believe. Pastor, you've got to believe. When someone is so deep into Islam, 
I think there's got to be an extra shout in heaven when they come to Christ. There's got to be. When someone so deep in Japanese culture that you can witness to them for two years and witness and witness and witness and you move them from 20% to 80%, you've got to believe there's an extra shout when they come to Christ. And I'm not, belitt- I'm not belittling our people. Now, man, we, we re- we're excited. This is where God has placed us. We love our people. And this is where, this, I, I couldn't be anyplace else. I, I'm like the pastor. I look at all these, all these and I sometimes sit back and think, you know, oh, I could do that. I could do that. But it didn't take very long to bring me back to reality. My heart is an African heart. That's where I want to be. Let us, let us, let us. May the Gentiles glorify God for His mercy. He goes on again to say, as we finish now, again He saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles, rejoice. Now, rejoice with His people. He says again, and again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud Him, applaud Him. Cheer for Him. Cheer for Him. All you people. And Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, that he shall rise over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. What a promise. What a promise. What a promise from Isaiah. What a promise hundreds of years before Christ was born. What a promise. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That, may, that we may abound in hope through the power of the Holy, of the Holy Ghost. What a promise. Our purpose is the same purpose that Jesus had. The same purpose. I come to glorify the Father. And that is our purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again. Our heart is moved today about 13 countries on fire. Our heart is moved because there are missionaries underground in every one of those countries. Our heart is moved. Father, we want to bring glory to you. I know that's the heart of those missionaries, whether they're in hiding, whether they're whether they're they're up in they're 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 closed up in their houses. They want to bring glory to you. They know what the dangers are, Father. They know that that they have laid their life on the line. They know that 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 they could die because of because of the Muslims. They know that. Father, let us bring glory unto you. May that be our only purpose in our life. I pray in Jesus' name. 
Thank you for listening to the recordings of our 2012 Witness Missions Conference. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com.